if you'll actually open your bulletin and not yet your Bible to page number 11. You'll see at the bottom there an outline of a sermon series that we are in the middle of now. We are in week two. We're on uh, the church marked by the gospel. That's the title of my sermon this morning. Week two of a five-week series, which is topical, meaning we're looking at the breadth of scripture to examine a topic of the Bible that is important to us. So not our usual practice. Normally I would be saying right now, open your Bibles, your pew Bibles to this Verses chapter, which is part of a bigger study through a book, but we're not doing that. We're on a little bit of hiatus, but even though we're not doing that, which is our regular practice, we do trust and have asked that the Lord work through this topical series on the gospel in the church. So last week we looked at how the church is built on the confession, on the gospel confession, the foundation that Jesus laid. A people who confess that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God, is who Jesus identifies as his people. And, as we saw last week, what the church confesses about Jesus ends up distinguishing them from the rest of the world. The confession, you could say, is kind of like the audible, audible marker of the church. And this morning we're going to shift our our focus a bit to the visible markers of the church. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. But before we go too far, we should ask this. Are we sure? Are we sure that God intends to visibly mark off his people from the rest of the world? We need to make sure that the answer is yes. Otherwise, we would end up creating division where we shouldn't. We need clarity here to too, because to suggest that there is an in and an out of the church will inevitably bring criticism. We need to have confidence to know that God himself draws these distinctions. And we need direction in our practice as a church. If God means to visibly mark us off as a local church, then that's going to instruct us to do whatever he says accomplishes that. And to do it regardless of how it might be received or perceived in our culture. So is this something God does? Does he visibly mark off his people from the rest of the world? Well, the answer throughout scripture is yes. Starting in the Old Testament in Genesis 1, God separated humanity from the rest of creation by making man and woman in his image. Then after Adam and Eve fell into sin and the whole world fell into a dark time, God separated the faithful from the unfaithful in Noah's time with the flood. Later in Genesis 12, God called Abraham to believe God's promise that through Abraham, God would make a specific and particular people. A nation who would make a covenant with him. As we read in Genesis 17, 10 through 14, these covenant people would be visibly marked by male circumcision. You go from there and you fast forward in the story of the Old Testament. Abraham's descendants become the nation of Israel who grow great in number but find themselves enslaved in Egypt. God intervenes. Judges Egypt by coming and killing all the firstborn, but rescuing all those who sacrifice a lamb 
and spread the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. On the same night, God leads Israel out of Egypt. And to commemorate God's specific salvation of these particular people, God gave them an annual sign to practice, the Passover. We read about this in Exodus chapter 12, verse 24 to 27, where God says to the people, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. In the Old Testament, circumcision and Passover were visible signs that distinguished God's people from the rest of the world. Now, sadly, despite Israel's commitment at times to those external signs, they routinely disobeyed God in their hearts. God eventually cut Israel off because they no longer looked any different from the rest of the world. In Deuteronomy 30, God actually told Moses this would happen, if you want to read about it later. And in Jeremiah 31, 31, God promises a new covenant. And in Hebrews chapter 9, if you want to turn there, we read how this new covenant gets enacted. Hebrews chapter 9. How does this new covenant come into place? The author writes in verse 11 of chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. This is how this new covenant comes into be into being. And throughout the new Testament, we see this new covenant enacted people coming through the blood of Jesus and by incoming receiving signs Visible markers that demonstrate who has faith and who is in the family of faith. These markers are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Last week we saw how the gospel confession marks who has heard and believed in Jesus. This week we see how baptism and the Lord's Supper mark those who are actively following Jesus. So to answer the question that I posed at the beginning, does God visibly mark his people? 
Yes. God marks them off now from the world through baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, for the rest of our time, we're going to examine these markers more closely. I'm going to ask three questions, which you should have there in your bulletin. Hope it helps you follow along. First, what are the ordinances or the markers? Second, who did Christ give these to? And third, what are these markers for? Now, you might have already kind of checked out. I understand. This may not be something you've really thought matters much. I understand. It may come from a background that hasn't taught about this or minimized this. I understand. You might be here and thinking, man, I'd rather just hear you preach about Jesus. I understand. I I trust I will. I trust I am even by talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper. But I also trust that the Lord has given us these things for a good purpose. For an important reason. So I hope he helps us. Even if my presentation isn't really that great or interesting. Or this is just not something we were prepared to think about in this detail. I trust he's going to help us come around his word and make it clear what he would want us to walk in. So here we go. Question one. What are the ordinances or the markers that mark us from the rest of the world? What are the ordinances? Jesus Christ commanded or ordained baptism and the Lord's Supper as practices for the new covenant people of God. That's why they're commonly called ordinances. While these are not the only things that Jesus commanded the church to do, these are the only church-wide mandated practices that come with a visible corresponding sign. Baptism with water and the Lord's Supper with a meal. So we got to see baptism this morning. Got to see it enacted and what it looks like and what it symbolizes. Baptism is the immersion in water of a person who professes genuine repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. We, we understand that this happens once and only once in a believer's life. Jesus himself was baptized. You can read about in Matthew 3. He told his disciples in Matthew 28 to baptize all those who follow Jesus. And in the books of, book of Acts, you can find several instances of baptisms showing that people were baptized once they became believers in Jesus Christ. We'll read one of those in just a moment. The other ordinance, besides baptism, is the Lord's Supper, or as some might call, communion. We're going to get to celebrate that next week. This is a meal of bread and a cup, wine as some observe it, juice and other churches, that Jesus ate with his disciples the night before he was crucified. Let's read about that meal from Jesus in Luke chapter 22. Turn there if you would. Luke 22, starting in verse 14. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread 
When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. The Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he's betrayed. So there we see Jesus instituting a meal that is meant to be a visible reminder of his body broken and his blood shed in order to create a new covenant people of God. It also, as Jesus says, is meant to serve as an ongoing reminder that Jesus is going to come back for his people. So while baptism happens once in the believer's life, the Lord's Supper is meant to be a meal that keeps on going, that we keep on coming to and observing together. We see the church regularly observing this meal in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 through 34, Paul will write to the Corinthian church with more specific instructions as to how to come to this table. And from that passage, we see the early church gathering together around the meal. So we as a church follow this practice. Come around the meal once a month. And, and some of you might say, well, why not more regularly? There certainly is an argument to be made for that. We may one day do it more regularly. But right now we do it once a month in keeping with Scripture's teaching and lead. So while these signs, these markers, these ordinances have some similarity to the Old Covenant signs, they are completely new. And they replace the old. The ordinances are the New Covenant signs marking off the New Covenant people of God. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's our first question to answer. Second, second, who did Christ give these ordinances, these markers, to? Who did he give them to? Well, the responsibility to administer these ordinances, to baptize and to serve the meal, is given to the local church. I'll come back to that in a moment. But first, who is the local church supposed to baptize and invite to the meal? Well, I think in short, members of the church. Members of the church. Which is a shorthand way of saying all who have publicly confessed their faith in Jesus Christ and made public their commitment to follow him and identify with his people. So how does the church affirm a person's claim to have saving faith? Well, they look for signs of repentance and belief. This is the pattern in the New Testament. As promised, turn over to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2. You can also find examples of this in Acts 8 and in Acts 9. But in Acts chapter 2, we see a pattern laid out where the church identifies repentance and belief and then administers baptism. Look at verse 37, Acts chapter 2. Peter has just preached the gospel, people listening. That's the context. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, 
everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word, who repented and believed, in other words, who received his word were baptized. And there were added to that day, to the church, about 3,000 souls. So it is the church that baptizes. It is the church that gives the Lord's Supper to Christians. And when I say church, remember what I said last week. When I say church, I do not mean some sort of institutional hierarchy that, that is represented by some other organization beyond this autonomous gathering of people. I mean this gathering of people authorized to affirm and give these ordinances. That's what I mean. And when we do, we mark off who is part of the church and who isn't. This is a big reason why Jesus gave these to us. This is the responsibility he's given to us as a local church. Now last week, we saw Jesus saying in Matthew 16, that he gave authorization to Peter to bind and loose on earth so as to be a mirror of what was bound and loosed in heaven. Then in Matthew 18, verse 15 to 18, Jesus extends that authority to all the disciples, even to the church. And so in the conversation in Matthew 18 around church discipline, we learn that this binding and loosing is meant to be done by the church. And the action of binding and loosing has to do with saying who is in the church and who isn't based on evidence of repentance. Then in Matthew 28, if you'll turn there. Yes, I know we're jumping all around. Like I said, topical series. Looking at the breadth of scripture and its testimony to us on this topic. Matthew 28. Having authorized the church to say who is in and who is out. In Matthew 28, in what is called the Great Commission, verse 18, Jesus leaves his apostles with these words, which get handed down to us. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now notice, as the church goes about faithfully doing this, it's going to create a kind of exclusivity, isn't it? There will be those who are taught and who follow. There will be those who have responded to the gospel and are baptized. And there will be those who do not. Even in the Great Commission, we see a marker being drawn. And since Christ gave commands to the church to baptize and gather on the meal... The gathering of the church is where we expect these signs, these markers, to be normally observed. This is especially important to note in our hyper-individualized culture. Many Christians, even, are taught to understand the ordinances as something done solely between you and God. So it doesn't matter where or how a person participates in them. But the church, not individuals in it, have been authorized by Jesus to affirm a person's confession of faith in Christ and their testimony of ongoing repentance and faith. The church, not individuals, has been given authority to baptize. 
Only in rare circumstances where there is no local church present with the gospel should baptism be administered outside the gathering of God's people. The church, when it gathers, enjoys the meal not individually, not outside the gathering. The Lord's Supper would fail to portray the unified people of God through Jesus if we were all just individuals sitting at our own table. That's why we gather to eat it. The ordinance is certainly for our individual participation, for our encouragement as Christians, but never to be practiced or understood as separate from the corporate identity of the church. That's the second question. And we're on to the third. What are the ordinances or these markers for? Why did Jesus give them to the church? Well, I have six answers. Six answers. First, they are commands to be obeyed. They are commands to be obeyed. In both Matthew 28 and Luke 22 that we read, Jesus commands his disciples to practice these signs. Matthew 28, 19, baptize them. Luke twenty two nineteen. do this in remembrance of me. And as we've already confessed with saints who wrote a confession of faith hundreds of years before we met this morning in our, in our article that we read, churches have been incorporating both baptism and the Lord's Supper into their practices from the beginning. Maybe you're here and you haven't been following Jesus Christ you increasingly have a desire to do that. That You want to. You might have seen Andreas get baptized and you thought to yourself, I want to do that. I need to get baptized. Well, we would be thrilled to help you follow Jesus in that way. But the most important thing, the most important thing to help you understand how to follow Jesus is not baptism right away but how to find salvation from Jesus. See, baptism cannot save you. Going under water in a horse trough does nothing magical for your soul. But Jesus, as we proclaim, can cleanse us from all our sin. His blood can wash us clean. We want you to know that only by trusting in Christ alone for salvation can anyone be saved. And I personally would love to talk to you more about that if you'd like to after the service. But if you are believing in Jesus and you aren't yet connected to the church, then you need to be, you need to be obedient to Jesus. If you haven't been baptized, you need to make your faith public and you need to be committed to his people. Until you are part of a visible local church, You should also wait on participating in the meal that signifies our bonds and covenant together in Jesus. You know, I'm preaching a whole sermon about baptism and the Lord's Supper, which I hope demonstrates to you, to all of us, that we do take great care in our practice. And it's because Jesus is our authority and these are his commands. According to Jesus, these ordinances are a crucial way a local church proclaims the gospel and unites around the gospel. And that's why Christians 
who differ on what it means to obey Jesus in these things, baptism and Lord's Supper, end up forming different churches, even though we agree on the gospel. So you could go to another church that preaches the same gospel, I hope and trust you here, preach here every week, and find that their practice on these things would be different from ours. We don't think that means that they're not Christians. But we are different churches because we differ in this way on what it means to obey Christ's commands. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are not essential to the gospel message. And so we can trust and look forward to enjoying heaven with brothers and sisters from other churches who differ with us in this. However... We will continue to treat these matters with the kind of attention to Scripture's teaching that I hope is being demonstrated this week and was demonstrated last week, and as God helps me, that I aim to demonstrate throughout the series. These are not things we understand Jesus and the apostles left up for debate or in complete ambiguity so as to make them unimportant. Even if we receive criticism for being exclusive or narrow, we just don't think we get to change Jesus' commands. These are commands to be obeyed. That was number one. Number two, what are they for? What are these ordinances for? They, are, they serve to visibly preach the gospel. They visibly preach the gospel. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, Whenever you eat the bread or drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See that? In the activity of observing the meal, you say something about Jesus. So the ordinances proclaim the gospel in visual form. Baptism gives us a picture of how a person who trusts in Christ is cleansed of their sins and made alive in Christ through his death and resurrection. In Luke 22, Jesus says that the bread and the cup are visible symbols that preach how his body was broken on the cross and his blood was shed as he took the wrath of God for us, for our sins, so that we might become one with Christ and with God. When we baptize, we proclaim that God is a holy God from whom we have all strayed. That he has sent his only spotless son to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That he has taken our sin problem seriously. He has answered it sufficiently through the Savior Jesus Christ. While God is clear that you can't be a part of him, if you won't come through Jesus Christ, he is also gracious and merciful to provide forgiveness and life through Christ's death and resurrection. That's what baptism preaches. And when we meet at the Lord's Supper and encourage people who are outside the church and outside of Christ to abstain from coming, we proclaim that only those who participate in Christ by repentance and faith made visible through baptism should claim a place of public fellowship with Christ's people. We communicate in our commitments to love and care for each other that the love of Christ dwells in the middle of the people of Christ here. And this, all of this, is the marvelous work of God. All of his grace. He has made a group of people here who were once his enemies and now his family. 
through the saving work of Jesus Christ, all are welcome at his table. So everyone present when baptism and the Lord's Supper are administered and observed, get a gift from Jesus. We all get a gift. Even if you aren't the one going under the water, even if you aren't at this point spiritually walking with Christ and so not eating the meal, Jesus has something for us all to see. To see. He shows us how he can bring us from death to life. He invites us to share in his life, which is a fellowship enjoyed, like the kind a loving family experiences and shares around a good meal. When the ordinances are observed, everyone gets to see the gospel. That's the second reason Christ gave them to us. Third, third, they demonstrate spiritual realities. They demonstrate spiritual realities. Much of the Christian life is lived by faith. It's by faith. We're regularly setting our lives, our hopes, our behaviors according to truths we believe about God who we have not seen. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, virgin, that he was raised from the dead on the basis of an apostolic witness, though we have never seen those things happen. We are anticipating living eternally in a world we have yet to see, but believe that Christ is going to take us to. The ordinances are one area where God intends us to see evidence of the invisible work he has been doing in the hearts of those he saved. As Paul wrote in Romans 6 that we read earlier, water baptism is a sign of spiritual baptism. And going down into the water and coming up out of the water, it represents how we have actually spiritually died with Christ and been raised with him to a new life, forgiven and washed of our sins. When we take the meal together, we are publicly demonstrating that we are one with Christ, one with each other. As we eat around the table, we and others see who is, who is saying that they are part of Christ's body. Now, I want to be careful to say that they demonstrate spiritual realities and not say they make spiritual realities. Neither baptism nor the Lord's Supper can change a person's heart. They do not and they cannot save you, as we've already said. And what a church says about these ordinances will at times affirm or deny the gospel they claim to confess. This is why our disagreements with Roman Catholicism matter so much. In Catholicism, baptism and the Eucharist, as they call communion, are conduits through which a person receives the grace of Jesus Christ's death. A person's salvation, according to Catholic doctrine, depends on their being baptized into the Catholic Church. At the Mass, the Catholic Church teaches that Jesus is in effect re-crucified, his broken body and blood literally present in the bread and the wine. The Bible does not teach that. Hebrews says that the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross was once and for all never to be repeated. We do not need any ongoing sacrifices anymore to cleanse us. Christ's sacrifice on the cross 
on that day on Calvary was sufficient for all our sins for all time. When we observe the ordinances as a church, we are not making spiritual realities. But we are demonstrating realities brought about only by the power of the Spirit of God. Fourth, these ordinances make clear who is part of the body of Christ. They make clear who is part of the body of Christ. This is the case scripture makes. The ordinances are a circle Jesus draws around the local church. And so this understanding impacts how we practice church membership here. Baptism is the sign that you have entered into God's people by believing in Jesus Christ and showing your commitment to follow in obedience. So in order to be a member of this church, you must be a believer in Jesus who has been baptized as a believer or if not, wants to be baptized. And we would have the joy of participating in that with you. The Lord's Supper is an ongoing sign that you remain committed in faith to Christ and his people. In order to be invited to the table, you must be a baptized believer who is either joined to a church or is visiting us and you're a member of another church that believes the same gospel we do. By our practice, we mean to say what we believe God says. That the visible church is only composed of those who have been made alive by Christ and the Spirit and have been baptized. So what if our lives begin to muddy the waters about who is and isn't marked by the gospel? What if, say, we get baptized and make it clear that we want to follow Jesus and then we kind of fall away? Begin not effectively following Jesus, but following our own way and our own sin. What then? Well, this was a situation in 1 Corinthians 5 that Paul calls the church to address. A man claimed to follow Jesus, but his life and his confession of what it means to believe in Jesus was presenting a distorted picture of the gospel to the world because he was living in sin. Paul instructs the church there to dismiss the man from the body, to treat him as an outsider and to not invite him to participate in the table with them. Baptism and the Lord's Supper when practiced according to scripture are meant to make clear who is and who isn't part of Christ's body. Fifth, what is this? What are these markers for? Well, they are meant for the encouragement of an individual Christian's faith and a church's faith. Through observing these things, we fix our attention on the gospel. These visible reminders of the gospel remind us that we're sinners in need of grace. That through confession of sin, we can find forgiveness. That Christ's death and resurrection is, in fact, our hope and our peace. The ordinances give us an ongoing assurance that what is needed to be done has already been done in the past. The ordinances remind us that... Today, what we need is for Christ to provide his presence with his people, which he promises. The ordinances encourage us to persevere in tomorrow. They are recurring reminders to look back to the cross and see that if we've been united with him in a death and a burial like his, surely we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. The Lord's Supper is just a faint taste 
of the banquet that will be laid out for us in heaven with all God's people and especially with Jesus our Savior. These ordinances encourage our involvement in each other's lives. It was so encouraging to hear another testimony of Christ's grace from Andreas this morning and witness his desire to follow Jesus. And when we watch someone get baptized and hear their testimonies and we receive them as we intend to do with Andreas and Esther next month into membership, we know this isn't just about them. This is about all of us. They are committing their lives to us and we are committing our lives to them. In our members meetings, we vote as a church to bring baptized believers into membership. And when we do, we take accountability for them and they take accountability for us. As members together, we promise to help each other walk consistent with the faith we all professed at our baptism. And we recommit those promises every time we sit down to the Lord's Supper together. And if any of us ever moves away from this place... We're so concerned for the well-being of each other's souls and ongoing walk in the gospel. We encourage everyone that moves from here to find a local church where they can do the same there. The people we sit at the table with are committed to care for us and watch over us. And so while I trust none of us ever plans to walk away from the table in sin, we have a strange kind of security knowing that if we do and when we do, The brothers and sisters around us will lovingly confront us, urge us to either return to Christ and his people or obey Jesus above us and remove us from the church where we can hopefully understand our great spiritual jeopardy that we are sitting in. So you should ask yourself if you aren't committed to a church, do I have people in my life who will take care of me like that? And if you're committed to this church or another church, do people know you well enough to care for you like that? Let's open our lives and our hearts up to each other so that we can receive the full benefit and encouragement that Christ provides for us here through his spirit and through his love and through the ordinances. Sixth reason. The ordinances invite others to come into the church. The ordinances invite others to come into the church. It's the sixth reason for which Christ gave these gifts. You could say that baptism and the Lord's Supper are like a giant marquee over a local church that says the grace of Jesus and faith in Jesus can be found here among these people. Not because the act of baptizing, the act of eating a meal is magical or salvific, but because here is a people who know and have been marked by the salvation of Christ and can tell you all about it. So we damage our witness to the gospel by not practicing the ordinances with care. People need to see That God marks off his people through Jesus Christ alone. It is not helpful if our practice blurs that line. Instead, it could send a message that all are welcome, even if they aren't interested in believing in Christ's death and resurrection for them. Even if they aren't interested in following Jesus Christ as Lord. 
Although we want to clearly understand and practice Christ's ordinances a way that marks us off, we should never use these ordinances as a way to isolate or insulate our church to the point where we aren't inviting others in. That would be counter to what the ordinances themselves do. If they preach the gospel to all who witness them, so too should we preach the gospel to all who are among us and who are outside us. Those are six reasons Christ gives ordinances to the church. Perhaps there are some that you thought of. Might want to talk about later that I didn't mention. I hope this is a good start. This is what they're for. So let's conclude. God has a purpose and plan in marking off his church through baptism and the Lord's Supper. And when the church faithfully keeps the ordinances, we tell the truth about God and his character. And that's God's intention. The ordinances we observe together are part of God's plan to communicate to the world about himself and about his gospel through his gospel people. So, as we seek to understand these things more and practice them together and be united around Christ, may God cause us in all matters of faith and practice to be a people who clearly and faithfully reflect who God is. And what God is like, both inside and outside our church. Let's pray. Lord, to confess with your scripture that your wisdom comes from above, from you, that it flows from who you are and the way that you work. We, by saying that, again, admit that we must look to you for understanding in all things that are important. Father, please give us that as a church. Give every individual that here, whether they're being called to follow Jesus or to follow him in baptism or follow him to join a church, or for your blood-bought people here, that we would more carefully and faithfully follow you in these things. Guard us from error, but we do not want to misrepresent the saving message of Jesus in any way. We want it to be the the diamond that we hold forth, that, that everything speaks and proclaims. That Christ will be honored. Lord, we don't want to take a unusual or stupid folly pride in how we go about this as if we figured it out and other people haven't and please we will be a people marked by humility who understand that what we are doing we are doing because you lead us according to your word we are ready to be led in places we have not yet foreseen lord even in thinking about particulars that feel to me granular and maybe to others We trust you have purposes in all parts of your word. In every command, you intend it to lead to our life. So Lord, help us in in every way, not just these ways, but in every way. To trust your promises. 
to desire obedience and to look with expectation about how you will work to demonstrate yourself, to proclaim the gospel, to save and to bring us home to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.